0: Welcome to Geed for Growth. This week we're chatting with Goose McGrath, who's a buyer's agent and founder of Dashdot Buyer's Agents. We have a chat to him about his past life as a hard-living, festival-running chap burning the candle at both ends. Through his decision to leave that life behind and into the property game, his first property began with a off-the-plan apartment which certainly stung and he talks us about the key learnings that he took away from that we talk philosophy and mindset we of course talk property and all the barriers that are in the way of property investors achieving the success that they desire he runs us through his holy trinity strategy we talk about unicorn properties and much much more pretty wild and loose interview covering a myriad of topics, but one that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Here's Goose. Goose McGrath, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth.
1: Mate, it is my absolute unadulterated pleasure, and I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you.
0: You sound excited, and we can work with that. We love that on the (laughs) podcast. Um, For people that haven't heard of you, Goose, maybe that don't own a desktop or have access to Facebook, which is probably the main Area they're going to be uh, be seeing Goose. Who are you, and what do you specialize in? Well,
1: firstly, if anyone listening to this has not heard of me, I, I'm, I'm 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 shocked.
0: <laughs> no, uh, in a general sense,
1: um, you know we are, we're we're pretty pretty vocal and we're pretty out there. So we do like to communicate a lot about what we're doing and why we're doing it. So for context, obviously my name is Goose, and with my partner Gabby, we run Dash Dot Buyers Agents, and we are a an investor focused full-service buyers agency, you know, helping people to transform their lives.
0: Awesome. And we're going to grill you on the transformational activities that you uh, do for your clients. Yep. But kick us off with a bit of background on Goose. What were the posters on the bedroom wall growing up?
1: Um, music, for sure, 100%. I mean, I um, when I was growing up, I was, deaf, I was heavily into music, punk, metal, the very first band that I ever had was called the Anti-Fascist All Stars. We had our logo was like the was like the Converse All Stars um, logo. Very cool, very cool. Um, but no, I, was, I was always into um, like anarchist punk, death metal. I went through a goth phase, you know, so it's a bit dark. Marilyn Manson, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was great.
0: Wow, rock and roll. <laughs> um, what about property? How, how did you get started in property, and what was your first investment?
1: Okay, so. Um, the way we got started in property is by making a mistake. I'm not sure if we can swear on this podcast. So I'll really try and temper my language because I got a propensity.
0: But. Give it a go. We can always beep it. <coughs> I had to tick that box on iTunes. Is it safe for for kidlets? Yeah, okay. So right. um... I'll try and I'll
1: try and I'll try and I'll try and manage myself. I get a bit excited. So that's all. So um, how did we get into property? So I was actually running two other businesses, um, and I was working about hundred hour weeks, and I've been doing that consistently for. Over a decade, and I don't say that with any degree of exaggeration. So I was working in the festival and event sector, which has got a horrific um, lifestyle culture within it. Okay, which is basically work twelve to sixteen hours a day every single day, um, and also whilst you're doing that, abuse yourself with drugs and alcohol. So it was pretty gnarly. You can imagine I got pretty burnt out after over a decade on the road doing that kind of stuff. And Mm. anyway, uh, Gabby. The amazing, wonderful light of my life, Gabby, came into my life um, a few years ago. She actually came to work for uh, one of my companies and uh, it was that was sort of a bit of a catalyst for change for me. I sort of realized I'd probably gone down a bit of a um, gnarly, gnarly rabbit hole. I was in a pretty bad, bad place. Um, I was living in the office. I was pretty, pretty much broke um, and decrepit in spirit and soul I wasn't in a very good place but anyway gabby and i got together and which obviously started inspiring a bit more me to think a bit more positively and what's next and i can't keep doing this to myself and there's got to be something more and like most young couples we we thought well let's try and get our foot on the property ladder you know that's how you get ahead in australia right buy a property why not yeah so um it was quite funny because we had no idea what we were doing like most people like the vast majority of Australia, like 90% of Australia has no idea what they're doing, particularly with property. And I remember actually having a conversation with my business partner at the time. I was like, well, property doubles every seven to ten years, right? So it doesn't really matter what you buy, just buy something, right? <laughs> yeah. And we were both we were both like, yeah, pretty sure that how it works. That's how it works. Yeah, cool. So we both went out to um buy apartments. And so Gabby and I um thought we're making a really smart financial well thought out financial decision we thought we'd done the research we didn't know what we didn't know obviously um and we bought an off-the-plan apartment at the peak uh of the melbourne cycle immediately before it crashed um ouch and yeah so i mean we sort of did everything wrong and funnily enough um and we had to borrow money off our parents and all this kind of stuff. We had to. You know, we did the big sale to the to the parents, like, oh, this, look at this, this is going to be great. It's going to set us up for the future. And you know, we sold them on it. Borrowed, borrowed. it
0: Doubles every seven to ten, Dad. You know. Oh,
1: we're going to kill it. I was like, check this out. We're going to kill it. It's going to be great. Um, anyway, the um, it was quite funny because we were signing the contract and, um, and I was rushing the guy, um, the Spruca, we we'll call him, um, and I was like, come on, come on, we need to sign this quicker. We've got to get out of here. We've got to go. So we've signed the contracts as quickly as we could, and we jumped in the car. And we raced. We were heading towards our, our very first property seminar um, after signing the contracts, of course. And um, we had our celebratory uh, halal snack pack um, celebration dinner in the car as we're careening towards the towards the uh, the venue, the hotel venue for this this property seminar. It was very romantic. Wow. Very romantic. Um, <laughs> Anyway, and we got to this property seminar. It was a rich dad, poor dad's one. Um, look, you know, we don't need to get into the pros and cons of property education seminars and all of that kind of stuff. Nonetheless, it was one of those free ones with an upsell, but um, nonetheless, it brought to the fore some very interesting concepts that we hadn't really considered around leverage and cash flow and a whole bunch of other things. And we sat there, sort of looking at each other, like, oof, have we done the right thing here? And we hadn't, right? So we sort of made all the mistakes all in one go which was awesome because off the back of that, um, basically making, basically completely stuffing it up. Um, and it, the property still actually hasn't even been built yet because the developers haven't even been able to get the finance. And it's a whole saga. But not only that, because it crashed pretty much immediately, um, we sort of on paper have lost, you know, the money that our family lent us for that. And there's a whole bunch we wound into it, which was a huge catalyst for change because we'd sort of made this emotional... Uh, stepping off point where we realized we wanted something more than to work 100 hour weeks in the festival and event industry so and we sort of looked around at the people who were killing it in property you know the property millionaires and all the stories you hear and we thought oh, well there must be a way to do it <laughs> so that was a big catalyst for change it was really um, a genuine life-changing moment um, and that's what stimulated us to go and spend immense amounts of time money and energy trying to work out how to master the game and in the, I'm not saying we have mastered it but I know that we've built some robust principles and strategies around that um, and the reality is we sort of started looking around at friends and family and you know as I say the majority of people in society who don't really know anything about property um, either it has negative connotations or they don't know what they're doing and we just thought wow there's tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people that we can help you know we don't have a 10 million dollar property portfolio we don't have any of that kind of stuff but I know that we can help people. So that's kind of what we set out to do.
0: Well, I guess one one man's heartbreak is another one's um, chance at getting a good property through the buyer's agents that he sets up after... Making all these <laughs> mistakes in a way, so that that uh, that mistake is probably sort of um, paying dividends. Perhaps not so much for you, for yourself, but for the people that you work with, and I guess your your future acquisitions. Going um going back a couple of steps, Goose. I, I really have to ask the question because I know that the listeners will will be sort of mad at me if I don't. Um, the name. I'm I'm assuming that you weren't born a goose. Um when when did this transformation is this the first transformation from from glen to goose when did this happen
1: (laughs) mate life is one big transformation but no look i got the um i got the nickname goose when i was 14 years old it's a story that i can't easily tell without it being very animated i have to jump around and do this kind of stuff but um long story short it was um through a very interesting funny scenario when i was uh, about 14 years old um it got, uh, it got gifted to me by one of my friends then, and it's stuck ever since. It's permeated through professional life, adult life. And I actually tried to, um. once we started moving into the real estate sector, I thought, oh, it's time. I've got to grow up, right?
0: I was going to ask about that because, I mean, like there's some precedence if if you're a sort of a, uh, a weapon system officer in a F-14 Tomcat, then <laughs> goose... You know, Goose, you'd, you'd, you'd trust, but I'm wondering, you know, if if someone sort of said, oh, hi, I'll be your my name's Goose, that you'd be running out of the hospital, right?
1: Oh, I, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe. I <laughs> mean, but the reality is, like, I, I actually thought, oh, yeah, you know, my email address is glenn at dash dot, right? Because when we were starting out, I was like, oh, I've got to get serious and, oh, what are people going to think? It's real estate. And then actually it was really funny because, uh, my dad actually pulled me up on it. And he was like, well, who do you think you are? Why are you trying to be someone that you're not? And all this kind of stuff. And it really hit home that, you know, the, the greatest asset that we've got is authenticity and integrity, right? And I was just like, you know what? Everyone knows me as Goose. I feel, you know, this is who I, how I identify. I introduce myself as Goose. Gabby, calls me. I'm Goose, right? So the reality is um, to some people out there, um, that's not going to resonate. And guess what? I'll let you in on a little secret. They're probably not the kind of people I want to work with. And that's okay. You know, like I'm unapologetically going to be who I am and I'm unapologetically going to show up with authenticity and integrity and purpose and passion every single day. And I, and I absolutely, and this might go back to my anarchist punk roots, I absolutely passionately refuse to try and be somebody else just to keep up appearances.
0: I, I think that resonates with people too, and I think yeah, you know, there's almost like a Descartesian sort of goose, therefore I am. You're you're the one true goose, and you're embracing it, and it's working for you. So I say stick with yep, it. Yep, hundred percent. Talk to us about um, property since since buying that off the plan apartment in Melbourne. You you mentioned that um, you don't have a ten million dollar portfolio, so assume you're still sort of actively in that um, you know a- asset gathering phase of. Of, of your investment journey where, where are you up to and and what are what's sort of the the end game for you is there a goal in mind like a retirement figure or a portfolio value or quantity
1: um yes and no i mean so it was quite funny so obviously there's the often plan apartment um we have bought we bought two properties in four months at the start of this year um and then through starting the business we've had to slow down a little bit um because of lending, because we started the business, so it affects our, our serviceability criteria, you know, wages, all of that kind of stuff. That being said, mm. we are actually um, planning to purchase another property in the next probably in the next month, um, which will make it three in twelve months. Um, which is pretty cool, and the plan is to basically continue that uh, process. Now, the way what we are doing for our personal portfolio is what we are helping other people to do as well. So that's focused around cash flow positive properties, high growth areas with value add potential, recycle equity, continue to grow, continue to build. So we are practicing what we preach as well. Um, but yeah, so so we've got two and a bit is what I like to call it and um, gearing up for number three in the next month and portfolio goals. Well, ultimately, um, you know, like everyone, I want to be able to build a, a legacy, build generational wealth and have generational impact and, you know, have enough passive income. I'm not the kind of guy who, who wants to quit what I'm doing and, you know, have a passive income so I can spend time at the beach. I did that anyway. For me, my goals are so much bigger and real estate is just a vehicle on that journey. Um, so where do I want to get to? I mean, we have said 25 properties in the next five years. Um, I, you know, we want to be probably moving into unit blocks within the next four years um, for a variety of reasons. So we're just going to continuously keep stepping our own way up the uh, the three tiers of property wealth pyramids. So.
0: Awesome. Now I want to sort of tap into the, to, we talked about the one true goose um you're one of those dangerous non-drinker types of people the people that are out there sort of doing deals and making things happen while the rest of us are hung over crying in the bath um now that hasn't always been the case obviously you mentioned you know some hard living earlier on can you talk us through that sort of transformational journey and um and sort of how where, where this boundless positivity comes from
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm not quite sure how raw you want me to get, but um, again, I'm unapologetically me, so... Let's do it. Here we go. Well, I was basically (laughs) uh, an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I mean, you know, not that long ago, I was basically uh, pretty much bankrupt and like completely abusing substances and and not in a very good place. Now, my, my levels of energy in my life have never changed. I've always been s- s- almost psychotic levels of passionate drive into whatever it is that has my focus. Now, unfortunately for that for for me for a period of time there that that passion, that 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 un unchainable levels of energy and drive were geared in the wrong direction. So don't get me wrong. We achieved massive levels of success in the property, sorry, in the um, in the uh, festival sector. You know, we ran businesses all over the world, and we were producing some of the largest events in the world. And and that was part of that drive and that passion as well. But so was, um, I guess, a level of self destruction. And so I had to come to a very real place where I realized that if I wasn't going to manage that or exclude it from my life. And I might not have one, so it really—that's pretty real. It's pretty real. It's pretty real. Um, and i am pretty open about talking about it because, as someone who, um, you know, I was never like—I was very, very high. Um, what do you call them? Like a high, high performance.
0: Uh, Type A personality, yeah. I, I would say.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, like I was a high performance addict, basically. So a lot of people didn't even really know. And I actually think that there's a, there's a lot more of that that goes on than people realize, which is why I'm pretty open to talking about it as well. <coughs> um, so for me, yeah, I mean, it just got to a point where I had to make a decision. I was like, I'm either going to make a decision to be a, to be a drunk for the rest of my life um, or cut it out. And the interesting thing that happened when I cut it out, again, the same levels of energy and focus, like like un, unbridled levels of, of energetic Push, i just got to channel that in a different direction and oh my god the transformation in my life since i've cut out drinking and not everything else is phenomenal wow
0: well i think i think it's yeah you've got one of those driven type personalities where you you're going to be the best business owner and buyer's agent or the world's best alcoholic yep. Um, that's exactly exactly right
1: and i had to turn around and decide which one of those i wanted to be and i was like i want to help people i could be i could be the world's best absolute wreckhead or i can be the world's like highest impact human being
0: you know so i love it and one one of my personal heroes because i'm a bit of a triathlete but um lionel sanders you should look that guy up um He was a drug addict and nearly killed himself and because he had that crazy personality he turned that from drug abuse into triathlon and came from basically nothing to second in the hawaii world championships in 2017 just using that same energy he had for destroying himself and putting it on a bicycle and you know, in the pool and, and, and running. So those sorts of people tend to be dangerous if you point them in the right oh, direction. 100, 100, that's good to hear. That.
1: 100%. 100%. And, that, and that's exactly right. And you can say the same thing about Grant Cardone. And look, there's there is some of the, some of the, some of the people out there having the highest impacts and the highest uh, levels of success in their fields. We've all got the same story. So my story is not unique. I'm not the only one who's struggled with that kind of stuff, um, which is why I also want to talk about it. And then, it is that thing. It's like, you know, that, that's that that level of passion redirected is what's led us to be I mean, I'm pretty sure we're the fastest growing buyers agent in Australia. Um, you know, we're, we're having huge levels of impact, we huge, huge levels of passion and communication out there. And that's all coming from that. So it's, it's awesome. And now and now you know what I wake up every I used to having anxiety and all this kind of stuff. I wake up every single day, inspired, inspired and passionate about what kind of impact I can make on the world. It's sick.
0: Well, while while we've we've duct taped you to the microphone, let's let's see what you can do for us. <laughs> um, and we'll uh, we'll point you in the direction of of this property yeah. game. Um, and I know people will start getting cross at me if I don't sort of go back to the property. Yeah. But you, you talked about um you've talked about a holy trinity strategy and and buying over and over again. You mentioned a few sort of buzzwords like. Know, cash flow and getting the equ- equity out and adding value. Can, can you talk to talk us about this holy trinity? Yeah,
1: 100%. So um, we use the term holy trinity because it's an easy thing for people to digest and it's based around three core pillars, cash flow positive properties in high growth areas with value add potential. They're the three pillars. And when you can get those three components to work harmoniously with each other, you have, in essence, an unstoppable wealth creation machine. So it is about getting the right levels of balance, though, and for a reason. Because if you just go for cash flow, then you're going to have limitations because you're not going to be getting the capital growth. Therefore, you're not going to be building, you know, large levels of wealth. You may be able to replace your income, but you're going to have limitations on what you can do, vice versa. If it's all in growth and uh, there is no liquidity in your uh, portfolio and it can't cover its own debts, you're going to have a liability. Um, Also, then stepping back a little bit to kind of what, what made our first purchase go so wrong, we bought the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time, largely due to external market forces. So politics and the economy that dictated um, you know, the market conditions at the time. So then it's like, well, how can you how can you in what ways can you de risk your strategy by? Um, you know, by having by by creating an environment where you can control the outcomes, which is where the value add come in. So Value-add potential could be anything from a small cosmetic renovation all the way through to subdivisions and and stuff like that. And it really depends on where you're at on your journey. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. But we've been taught, I suppose, that um, a high growth area and cash flow positive are, are two different Properties, so you either go for you know high growth or or cash flow and you can i guess it's a sliding scale but if you slide more towards the the growth potential you're tending to go lower yield do you subscribe to that view?
1: yeah oh look at 100 it's a balancing act it's a balancing act you know you can get blue chip i use blue chip in inverted commas i don't even really know where that comes from but um Couldji, I think. Yeah, with well, you know, you can get well, <laughs> heck, cookies, lovely. Um, you know, you can get areas which have got nine, 10% capital growth. Awesome. But <laughs> good, good luck getting positive cash flow. It's very, very unlikely. Right. So it's a balancing act. Vice versa, you can get 14% yields. Good luck getting capital growth or any significant qual- you know, <laughs> any significant amount. So it is that balancing act, which is sort of why we hover around the. Uh, we're shooting for sort of five five percent on average on a ten year average, but typically in growth. Um, but typically, you know, seven to ten percent in the first twelve months by strategically purchasing in the right place at the right time. So you're getting solid. You're getting you know pretty good long term growth, but also very solid short short to medium term growth. So one to three year growth, we're typically looking for about thirty percent. That's by positioning ourselves in the right market. Then you know, on a yield front, we're looking at 55 to sort of 6.5%. Now, some people will be like, oh, yeah, but I can get 8%. And it's like, well, it, there, is a, there is a balancing act, right? Because these things, you know, like like everything in nature, there's, there's the polarization, there's yin and yang, you know, there's frequency oscillation that happens between these, these two dichotomized aspects of, of, of property economics. And this is what we need to understand. is about how do we find that balance and in what markets? And then how can we use that in the most productive way to achieve our long-term goals, makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And and so when you're sort of researching areas, do you sort of you narrow it down to okay, well this is in our cash flow positive range, so that narrows it down to these suburbs. So now we're just chasing the ones that have got that that growth potential. Or um, h- how does that work? And and how do you know? that you're going into a high growth area? Is it is it sort of the past trends or are you analyzing some of the drivers behind the scenes that are likely to, to fuel that? Drivers,
1: risk? so drivers. Past performance is never an indication of future performance. And you can just look to me for that kind of example, right? Your history does not dictate who you are and who you will become. And the same thing goes in property and economics. Okay, so you need to look forward not backwards, and this is a mistake I see a lot of people making because they go, "Oh, but you know, for the last few years, it's done this." It's like, "Yeah, but what's it going to do for the next?" If you actually look at um, property market trends, you'll you'll find obviously that they they're non-linear. You go you go through rising markets, flat markets, and all kinds of different stuff. So positioning yourself at the right place at the right time is critical. Okay, because for yeah. example, just for example, so you know um, you know Hobart, obviously in recent years ex- exhibited huge signs of growth, right? If you were to go to Hobart now and you go, oh, but look at the last few years, it's been going off. And then you go buy in Hobart now based on that. I'm not saying there's no growth left in Hobart. I'm not saying that at all, but you're certainly not going to get the same performance now moving forward as you did in the last two to three years.
0: Well, I'd had it, I guess, a little bit like Sydney pre the last boom. It had 10 years of doing next exactly to nothing.
1: Right. Exactly right. And this is why you don't look backwards, you only look forwards. Because if, you, if you're driving a car, and your car is a wealth creation vehicle, you want to be looking through the windscreen, not through the rear view mirror,
0: okay? I've, yeah, of so course. Good, I've, go on, sorry. I've tried very hard to make cars my wealth creation vehicle. I wouldn't recommend no, those. But that's, no. <laughs> that's a slight yeah, issue. Yeah. <laughs> that's,
1: uh, no, that's not, they're not a great tool for that. So, so to that degree, then you need to start thinking about, okay, so what, is, what does that mean? You know, like what is actually going to move the needle moving forward? And I can tell you 100% that it is not necessarily just because somebody announced they're going to be putting a new road in an area. So you need to look, we've got we've got over 100 different metrics that we look at and analyze, and it's been a long process trying to define all this. And, you know, as I said, once I, des- once I decide to put my mind to an endeavor, it gets a pretty intense level of focus. So we've very quickly um, fine-tuned pretty robust systems about identify these, these kind of areas. So we look for things like, um, you know, price, how, the, how that price uh, in that suburb is in relation to surrounding areas, what are the key industry drivers, what is the population movement, what is the future population expectation, uh, what is the supply risk, what is the demand levels. What is the yield trend days or market trend? There's a there's a variant amount of factors in there. But what you need to be looking at is over the next one to three and three to five and five to 10 years, what are the key drivers that are gonna attract more people into that area? And then how do you, because it's really what it comes down to. How many people are gonna be going into that area? How long are they gonna be staying? Why are they gonna be there? How are they gonna make money? What is the level of supply risk? Because there's no point moving into an area if, if it could have the best drivers in the world, but if they're going to release another 20,000 landlots, then it's probably not going to matter much for growth, right? It's going all going to be soaked up. So you really need to be looking at, at how you can get that balance of supply, demand and future economic potential.
0: Does that mean you favour a certain asset type over others, i.e. houses rather than yes. units? Or if you're talking about houses, you're talking about maybe houses in a bit of a sort of landlocked area where we can't sort of say to a farmer, Congratulations, your 50 acres is now zoned to a residential. A hundred percent.
1: So typically, you know, the the great adage in property is that land appreciates, buildings depreciate. Right? So from that perspective, you always want to be going for land. But conversely, you don't just want to go and buy 20 acres and hope that that's suddenly going to go up in value. So it's about getting that balance. But the way I like to think about property, just quickly, is what you're buying is land and what you're putting on that land or what you're buying on top of that land is like a little shop. Okay. So you need that shop. So don't think about it as a house and a home, think about it as a business and that business, that shop is in the business of selling accommodation to the right, to the right buyers. Right. Now, if that shop and that business can produce income, that's what's going to pay for the cost of you holding the land, which is ultimately the bit that's going to be going up in value. Okay. So this is just a, a perspective shift that I think a lot of people need to go through. Conversely, as well, so when you are uh, buying an apartments, so and don't get me wrong. Gabby and I are in an apartment in Bondi, loving it. From a lifestyle decision, they can they can be great. From an investment decision, not so good, because the supply risk is huge. Because you know, quite literally, the sky's the limit, and so they can you know the amount of land required to go to build a unit block up upwards is the ratios are all out. So you can you can generate a lot more supply in units than you can in houses typically because of the limitation of land you know they're not making any more land and land is the valuable bit that's why it keeps going up in value because there's a limitation of it okay so vice versa we want to only be looking in areas that have very limited infill supply so that we have a controlled environment that we can see that that it's not we're not suddenly going to get flooded with more opportunity
0: so these holy trinity properties with the positive cash flow, the high growth, the value-add potential, yep. are, they, are they sort of typically what other people might refer to as A-grade properties? So then you've got the term unicorn properties out there. Are, are they your A-grades and your unicorns or is unicorn something no, else?
1: look, we use the term unicorn uh, to describe those kind of properties too, partly because it's colourful and it gets people's attention and I like to get people's attention because it's important stuff that we're talking about. So um, – yeah. Look, a unicorn, Like, I guess to take a little step back, you know, when when after we um, bought our first property and, you know, I started thinking, okay, well, how, what, is, what does the perfect property look like? If we're gonna nail this game, what does the perfect property look like? What would it have to do? How would it have to perform? What, how, what balance of growth and, and yield would you need to have? And what other aspects? And this is sort of where the Holy Trinity strategy was formed was by analyzing, okay, what would the perfect property do? If, if I was to buy a property that was going to allow me to continue to buy and buy again and, and, you know, I can hold it forever and get a passive income and it's going to grow and cash flow, all of these things, what would it look like? And So I kind of drew it out on paper, so to speak, and went, ah, okay, well, that sounds awesome. So this is how we got to our Holy Trinity. But I thought, well, <laughs> if they exist, why isn't everyone doing it? Because it's perfect. So then I... that hmm.
0: that that was That is a really important question, I think, because obviously there's only so many of these properties now let, let's say they might be 500 of them but you know there's there's 2 million property investors and there you know there's a there's a bunch of them active at yeah. one point why is there not a rush to these sorts yeah, of yeah so
1: that's a really it's a really great point and so that, and that was kind of where my mind went i was like well if they exist why isn't everyone doing it and so i've got a very scientific approach to to i don't know life Right, And we can dig into that in a whole another episode. But right. I went out to disprove my theory because I thought, all right, this looks awesome, but I'm going to go prove that You can't find them. So I, I diligently started collecting all of the relevant data from every LGA in the country. I, was, I went a little bit Rain Man on the whole scenario um, and actually then found you could find them, but it all depended not just on where, but when. And so these properties really only exist in
0: Lost you oh, there for a second. Still there.
1: So yeah, just to expand on just to expand on that before uh the the internet dies, unfortunately. <laughs> um so yeah, so I guess where I where I got to was that what I realized is that these kind of properties do exist, but they only exist in a snapshot of time. And this is this is this is the tricky part. And this is this is where I guess what has led to some commonalities in thinking around you can't find these properties, they don't exist. Now, what we've found is that if you want to find a property that, that, ha- that is going to grow strongly, has positive cash flows, strong yields, all that kind of stuff and you get the value, you really, there's a, there's a limitation of the time window. We call it the optimum buying window. Typically it lasts for about 10 weeks, somewhere between six and 12 based on our analysis and depending on the market. So as much as trying to find the right type of property, and the right location, you need to also find the right time. And that, there, therein lies the complexity with finding these properties. But then the reality sinks in and it's like, well, okay, if, if you're telling me that you can find these properties, then why would you settle for anything else? It's a good it, question. Yeah, because I mean, like the reality is if, it's kind of the, you know, once you have, once you understand that you can, you can get everything that you want why would you willingly settle for an alternative just because the, the 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 perfect solution is just a little bit harder. It's just a little bit trickier. It's just a little bit harder to get, but what you're gonna get is you're gonna get a massively way higher return, both emotionally and financially, because you're gonna have a better 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 outcome for you and your family. All right? So then
0: it, yep. you weren't at that barbecue where Uncle Gavin sort of said, You really gotta buy in Port Headland at the moment. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, the amount of people that have come to me after buying in places like Port Hedland going, Goose,
1: help. We thought we were buying for cash flow. We thought we were buying for growth. They bought in in, um, limited economies where it was all hedged off one major economy. And these kind of things can really weaken your standing. The aim of the game here is to accelerate fast, achieve massive returns, but be safe. Like there is no value in losing all your money. And this is the thing, it's like, if, you don't, if you're not aware of, you know, what is going to create a stabilized economy and have long-term drivers, you can find yourself in a pretty tricky situation. Now, I've got to say, a significant portion of our clients that come to us, come to us because they have made the wrong decision or been given the wrong advice and they have bought, you know, either a mining town or um, a new development and they've got no growth and all of these kind of things. And you know, that's kind of part of my mission out there is to try and cut through all of that noise.
0: Do you think that the fact that ninety percent of people own two properties or less, with obviously the vast majority of that being one, is that evidence that people aren't buying the types of properties that we're talking about here? Yes. Short answer. An
1: answer. Yeah. Short answer <laughs> is yes. Like that's 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 the big. Okay. So the, the two biggest I reckon limitations. Uh, let's talk about three. Let's 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 go hog wild. Let's talk about the three biggest mistakes that people make. Um, that stop them, like, let's wind it back a little bit, but why do people want to even invest in property? Why is that a thing? Mike?
0: Well, I mean, it makes you look cool at barbecues. Yeah, barbecue.
1: Status, that's a really interesting one though, because status, you know, status, freedom, transformation, these are all key drivers about uh, the human condition and why people want to do anything. Why do you want to go to the gym? Right? Because you want to look better, right? You want to have better status. You want to maybe get a better girlfriend, right? Things like more war boyfriend. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's there's key fundamental drivers behind human behavior. And ultimately, look, the experience that I've got in property is particularly, you know, building a business based around helping people in this. I, I talk to people about this a lot. The key drivers really are people want freedom, choice, abundance, transformation, status, significance, these kind of things. So hmm. once you can understand that, then it's like, OK, well, cool. Like Now, now I understand why people want to invest in property. But why do 90 percent of people get stuck, which because they buy the wrong property in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's because they don't understand where they fit within the sequence, which is something I talk about quite a lot with our clients sequence, um, which is foundational acceleration and legacy, because you have got to enter into the right part of your property journey at the right time. Just ask anyone who's tried to do a development on their second property and lost everything I've had a few of those clients as well. You know, so it's really mm. understanding that pathway and that roadmap. Now, the reason a lot of people get stuck is because they don't realise you can get positive cash flow properties. They buy negatively geared properties. They tap out on their serviceability. They have mortgage stress. All of these kind of things. Now, the way I like to think about it is, if you don't know what you're doing, you say you do triathlons. I want to do a triathlon next year. Actually, we'll talk about that later. But um, you know, if you have never run, right? If you've never been a runner, right? But you've heard, you have heard. That if you run, you're gonna get fit. You're gonna get in great shape, and all the all the men and women are gonna love you. It's gonna be fantastic. So you get all hopped up and you go, "All right, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be a runner." And what does a runner do? Runners run massively long distances. They run marathons, right? I'm gonna run a marathon, and you so you get some shoes and you get out there and you go, "I'm gonna go. I'm gonna sprint. I'm gonna sprint a marathon. I'm gonna, run a, I'm, gonna I'm gonna get all the best. I'm gonna kill it. It's gonna be awesome." And then what happens is you get about a kilometre or two down the road and you'll pull your hamstring and you'll lay on the ground crying and puffing and wheezing and whinging and thinking, God, running sucks. I'm not a runner. I'm never going to be a runner. Why did I try and do this? I'm a failure. This is horrible. I'm never running again. Why would anyone do this
0: to themselves? Hmm. yes, I see the parallels. Yes, and
1: that's the same analogy, right? And this is where a lot of people make mistakes in property is they a, don't really understand how to, how to build up their muscles first, don't understand what the appropriate pathway is gonna to be to get them towards that goal of, of financial fitness, you know, to run the financial marathon and to get there and they make mistakes. And they find themselves in positions that they don't know how to get the answers out of. And honestly, a lot of it comes down to ego mindset and personality about not being able to continue to pursue through the obstacles to find the right solutions because there's always a way out.
0: It's almost like the, if we have our our sort of property team of experts, I mean, people often talk about, you know, getting an, an accountant on board and a broker and a buyer's agent, a conveyancer and a tax guy. Um, it's almost like we need a psychologist in there as well, because some of these drivers, like I want to appear successful or I want to provide for my family, and I don't feel like I'm doing it. These are things that perhaps cloud the judgment and 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 inform our property investing decisions. But that's just an emotional thing that we we really need to rise above. Is that? Am I paraphrasing you well?
1: Yeah, that's hundred percent. That's a hundred percent it. And you need to take the emotion out of it because.
0: There's two sides
1: to property. There's where do I want to live? Like what kind of what kind of um, shelter? You know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what kind of shelter do I want to provide for myself and my family? Now, when you're in your mid twenties and you're a bachelor or something like that, your the degree of shelter that you you're prepared to accept for yourself is, is probably a different standard to what you're going to want when you have a family. Okay, so but that's emotion based. Mm. it's emotion-based like the the basic hierarchy needs dictates roof overhead but you get emotionally based i want it i want a nice place with the big backyard i want to see the kids running around you get caught up in the emotional journey and that's totally 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 cool but when you want to think about property as a wealth tool as an an investment vehicle you need to ditch the emotion you need to just yeah go on
0: no, I'll let you finish.
1: It's also because it, it's And it's a really tricky thing because there is a dichotomy within that that you need to get really emotional. You need to get passionately emotional about what you want out of your life. You need to get deeply, deeply passionate about the future that you want to create for yourself, your family, your community, the world, depends how big your vision is. You need to get so passionate about that and then you need to detach your emotion from the property itself, and then look at whether it's going to serve your higher purpose, whatever that may be.
0: I want to talk about the 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 property because I mean, like other buyers agents, occasionally I've seen you sort of say, "Here's something that we bought for a client." As a bit of a case study, right? Because yep. people really love love seeing you know what someone else has bought, mm-hmm. and you know I'll have what what they're having sort of stuff. Um, The ones that I've seen from yourself typically are relatively low priced I'm wondering if that is just by virtue of the cash flow positive properties tend to be at a lower price point um, or has that got something to do a little bit more with um, buying and going again so is it is it better to be searching for these properties that are around the sort of two three four hundred thousand dollar mark because you see that they 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 have all the fundamentals of a blue chip but it enables you to get in and get going and get started quicker
1: i mean the short answer to that again is yes so there's um (laughs) there's a there's a yield growth variance which changes as you sort of get higher in price so it's harder i'm not saying it's not possible because there's many 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 ways to make money out of property but in a broad brushstroke sense, when you're talking about um, residential houses, um, uh, it's harder to find positive cash flow the higher the price. It's very hard to find a million dollar positive cash flow house in a suburban area, right? So there is a there's a there's a yield growth uh, variation that has to happen. Where we see the best value, the dollar return value, is in that sort of three hundred to four hundred and fifty thousand dollar price point. Now that's based on analyzing the metrics, that's not analyzing your emotional desirability. Now, we do help people buy properties as low as say, 200 $230,000. Um, and we'll help people buy properties that are worth, you know, well over $400,000, so you know, 500, and 600. But the thing is, it, what you need to really look at is what where in your journey are you and what is it serving as part of like what outcome is it serving to help you move you from where you are now to where you want to be. So a lot of the stuff that we put out, uh, for lack of a better term, via email, Facebook, all that kind of stuff to show people is, I, I, I typically tactically choose that to be the cheaper ones. Reason I do that um, is largely to show people what's possible and to encourage more people to take action. Because someone who has a five or $600,000 budget for a property, they're probably, they've probably have sort of gone through an emotional journey already about property, And they've saved up and they've got to that point and they're like, okay, I'm ready to go. And usually for those people, those clients that come in and work with us, I actually talk them down and I go, great, you can borrow 600 or you can borrow 800 or 900 or a million or 2 million, but that's cool. Let's wind it back and let's have a look at what's gonna best serve your outcomes. And that might be a $350,000 property or it might be a $450,000 property. We really need to tactically look at their strategy. Now, a lot of what gets people excited is understanding that they can do more than they thought. Because okay, property is, gonna, is, is a big emotional um, and psychological block. I, I know personally, looking around at my friends, I mean, I'm in my early 30s, and I look around at a lot of my friends, and the general consensus is, well, I'm never going to get any property. God, those boomers, they've ruined it for everyone. We're never going to get in. It's too expensive. Woe is me. That's it. And so what I want to try to do is spread a message that you can actually get started for a hell of a lot cheaper than you think. And you can do it in a really powerful way that is going to accelerate your position so that you can, rather than going, okay, I'm 30 and my dream home now costs $1.5 million, uh, I've got to try and save up for that. By the time you've saved up for that, it's probably going to be worth $2.5 million. So you're going to constantly be chasing the market, which is seldom going to work out very well unless you change your um, financial uh, position in your life and your career significantly, which for a lot of people they don't. Okay, so then you got to figure out how can I make my money work for me? How can I get in cheaper, make it work harder, accelerate faster, and achieve that outcome safer?
0: In in talking about the market, something that I've seen a lot of people speak about is is buying properties with instant equity, i.e., under market, but. I just, I'm wondering if we could sort of take aim at that as a concept. I mean, if a property is for sale and on the market, then, you know, via the traditional definition of, of market value, you know, it's an arm's length transaction with no one sort of compelled on either side and it's a fair price based on people sort of viewing it with all education. And, and that's basically what it is. Is this under market a, 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 as big a thing as buyers' agents would leave us to believe?
1: 100%, 100%. And I, I, think, um, I think anyone who says, oh, well, the contract price, that's, that's the market value because that's what the market dictates. I, I, I think that's a very close-minded perspective. Well, I know, I, I don't know about you, Mike, right? But I know for a fact that I have sold things in my life, you know, whether it be on Gumtree or whatever. In fact, we recently moved to Bondi and I was selling my like tools and stuff. I've sold them for about a third of what they were worth. About a third of what they were worth. Why? I just, you know what, I was done. I just wanted them gone. I was getting rid of them. Somebody else got a very, very, very good deal on all my tools. Good luck to them too. But the thing is that this kind of stuff happens all the time. You know, what what a property is worth is not necessarily what is paid for. it. So just in the same way that you can pay over what it is worth, and people have experienced that in equal measure, you can pay under what it is worth. Now, the key thing here is what is, it, what is it worth all things being equal compared to other similar assets in a similar market with similar economics if it was presented potentially with a better campaign or, um, or you know, variant, many variant other things that can dictate the price or if the vendor was under less distress or there's a bunch of different factors that can play into it. Negotiation is one of them as well and I think that um, – From my personal perspective, I would never buy a property at market value. If I thought, oh, I think that's what it's worth, I would never buy it. Now, that's not an aggressive perspective where I'm trying to rip anyone off, but what I am looking for is to create a cushion, right? So as much as we can position ourselves to take aim for super high growth and all of this kind of stuff, I mean, you want to start ahead, not at the starting blocks, right? If you could could have an opportunity, you'd be starting ahead to give yourself some natural degree of cushioning or acceleration. So I think it's 100%, um, it's 100% real. I mean, that's how we bought two properties in four months. We bought under market value. The bank we, the bank valued it at $40,000 more than we bought it. We were able to recycle the equity pretty much straight away and go buy another property. So it's 100% real. Um, it just becomes about identifying where that value lies in the market.
0: Talk to us about recycling that equity in the the good old days, which is probably, uh, where am I thinking? Maybe like six or seven years ago. I remember that was pretty pretty easy. You talk to the bank and uh, you say, I want some money. And they're like, "Uh, what for? Actually, don't worry about that. I'll fill that in later. Uh, Yeah, sure. We'll send a value and, oh, you're worth this. Like, here's the money. Uh, Those days are sort of not as easy as they used to be. Are, Are you finding that redrawing the equity is a challenge or, or is that a key part of the strategy of, of, of redrawing and going ahead and, and you're not having too many issues with that for yourself and your clients? We're not, we're not seeing
1: any issues with it. You know what? It's really interesting because um, the people who talk about lending being so much harder and, and woe is me, um, they are people that had it very easy in the last decade, right, or so, 15 years even. For most people who got into the market um, in the last few years, it's just it's just how it is, you know. And I'm not seeing any issues with it. You've obviously got to make sure that you're buying the right types of assets that the banks are prepared to secure against. They've got the right equity amounts. You have got to make sure you're buying the right stuff, right? You, maybe maybe you couldn't, maybe you can't go as ad hoc and you know wildly. You know, I, I know people who bought tremendous amounts of properties when lending was pretty laissez faire. Um, And that's awesome. But it doesn't mean you can't do it now. It just means you need to listen to what the needs are of the lenders and meet those requirements, genuinely not seeing any issues on our front with that. And obviously, we use uh, investment focused mortgage brokers who specialize in this field and help navigate that as well. Um, But no, I'm not really seeing any issues. And it is, I think, a core part of the strategy because whilst whilst we want to grow wealth long term, the thing is we're trying to accelerate here. So what we want to do is we want to be positioning people to get maximum growth through under market value and market performance so they can leverage that equity using the positive cash flow from the properties to buy more properties so they've got a diversified wealth base which is going to grow over time and they're going to accelerate their wealth position. And I think if you were to try and save up a deposit every single time, you could achieve the same result but it would probably take you about three times as long.
0: Mm, Yes, the power of leveraging, eh? Mm -hmm. Now we've covered a lot of ground here today, Goose. We've we've uh, we've we've delved into the psyche. We've we've talked we've talked about Maslow. We've we've got the psychology of the individual, as Jeeves would put it. Um, if people are wanting to have a chat to you about any of this and a whole lot more, I'm guessing, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, we're pretty active on Facebook. The easiest, easiest way to get in touch
0: um, with myself or the team
1: direct is hello at au. Reach out, say hi, and let's get a conversation started. If people want to join a community of like-minded entrepreneurs and property investors and people who are you know, finding success in real estate, we have a... Facebook group called the investor lab, the investor lab. And in that we, we, you know, we're building a community of conversation there. We talk about stuff like mindset, we talk about stuff like goals, market trends, you know, and it's really designed to be a platform to bring value to people on their property journey. Because, you know, I, I genuinely believe the more that we can inspire positive change within the community, the better off our society is going to be. So we're trying to foster that as well. Um, alternatively, you can swing past our website, so www.dashdot.com.au or our main Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash dot buyers agents.
0: Beautiful. I think that's covered off all the bases. You're pretty easy to find in that yeah. regard. Now, we've, um, we're, time flies when you're having fun, of course, and we're going to have to wrap it up um, with our sort of standard issue question we've covered off a lot uh, and there's a, a lot of wisdom that you've you've shared but if you could if you could narrow it down to one piece of advice you would give property investors let's say they're um, they're aspiring investors or they've just bought a, a property or they're looking to grow their portfolio um, and necessarily looking for advice what would that one piece of advice be
1: one piece of advice is very hard because I my biggest thing is I, I want people to take action because a lot of the time inaction is caused by fear and that's what's going to stop people moving forward because you in many cases in life you're much better to take action and make a mistake and learn a lesson than to not take action at all so the caveat to that is that you want to be trying to take educated action and, and make and make you know intelligent decisions and to that degree then I would suggest that you know investing in your education investing in building a team investing in Getting the right guidance to take you from where you are now to where you, where you want to be is essential, but then it must be backed up with action because the greatest uh, contributor to, or poverty, or a lack of success in life is apathy.
0: I think that's fine. Educate yourself, then bloody well do something about yeah. it. Is that good yeah. enough? Beautiful. <laughs> All right, Goose, uh, Goose, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for, for joining us today. And uh, if uh, anyone wants to reach out with you, obviously they've got those details yep. there. But um, thanks for thanks for sharing your wisdom. Mate, awesome. Pumped pump to be here, pumped to communicate and share. And I hope it resonates with people. And yeah,
1: I hope it's good. I hope you enjoyed it. I have love my time here and I'm forward to hearing from people.
0: Good times. I have enjoyed it, mate. Thanks very much. Cheers. Yes.